Uh, thank you all for coming this morning. I didn't know how much time I had to share uh, in front of everyone what the whole forum was about, but after I heard Doug and Scott, I, I thought I should have uh, spoke a little longer. But the truth is, there, um, Scott's forum sounded very interesting, uh, and I was begging him if he can actually join mine so we can have that much more. But uh, having said that, let's start in a word of prayer and uh, invite the Lord so that we can get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your provision and your faithfulness. And Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness even when we are not. And that is what makes your grace and your love and your constant so beautiful. Father, we pray as we would discuss very uh, various sensitive issues, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have free course and that you would be with us, that you'd reveal truth to us, which is found in your word, that we wouldn't be swayed and carried about with emotion or feelings, but what is the foundation for all of our actions, and that is the Word of God. And so, Father, we thank you in advance for your faithfulness and pray that you'd continue to be with all of those who are having a forum, teaching, whatever capacity uh, they are used this week, um, used in this week. We pray that you'd bless them, and all of us, Father, that we'd, we would all be edified and serve you more faithfully in, in your kingdom. We thank you for all things in Christ's blessed name who died for sinful men and women such as us. In his name we pray, amen. <clears throat> oh, there's a few more people. You could turn it down a little bit. I have a loud voice, just a little. Thank you, brother. So I, I would like to um, have a very interactive forum this morning. Please feel free to share if, if the Lord's laid something on your heart or if there's an experience. I will have a few individuals share their personal experience that relate to this, which relate to this forum. Um, but besides them, if, if you have something that's really uh, pressing on your heart as the forum starts, uh, please share with all of us so that we would all learn. Uh, this is not going to be a sermon um, my wife says that uh, I love the sound of my own voice, but um, if you don't talk, I will, so uh, please share, okay? I want to share a quote with you. Although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research shows that most people have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. This is a quote from the Barna Research Group. I don't know if you've seen this survey, but it further established that 4% of North Americans have a worldview. 4% of North Americans have a worldview, and only 9% of born-again believers have a biblical worldview. <clears throat> I will try to illustrate in this forum what a personal worldview is and what a biblical worldview is so that we can have a correct response when we are faced with issues of immorality and help those around us. I want to give a backdrop before we get into our discussion. And secondly, uh, what our response should be in light of God's Word. First of all, let's define the concept of worldview. A worldview is the infrastructure from which we perceive and relate to life in the world. Every person has a worldview. 
and it dictates how they think, how they will react, and how they will make decisions. It is a window through which we understand what we believe to be true. One's worldview is not necessarily based on absolutes, but on how they define the things that they believe to be true. The common worldview seems to be that life is random. There is no accountability since God has been eliminated from the picture. By rendering God non-existent, truth becomes what? Relative. And God's measuring stick for upholding moral standards no longer applies. Almost every student entering university believes or says that he believes, believes or says that he believes that truth is relative. They fear not error, but intolerance. They ask, quote, what right do I or anyone else have to say that one's religion is better than another? End quote. Spiritual entropy or an evaporation of the soul's boiling blood is taking place. Respect for the sacred, real religion, and knowledge of the Bible have diminished to the vanishing point. You would think that this quote came from a preacher. The truth is that this came from a professor at the University of Chicago. Our society is spiraling out of control. Our nation has taken a nosedive into greater and greater evil. C.S. Lewis wrote, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. That's a, that's a worldview. Now we are going to look at a biblical worldview, which is, a biblical worldview centers itself on the inerrant and perfect Word of God and should be the framework of all of our actions. The biblical worldview recognizes that A, God is the source of all truth, and B, all truth relates back to an understanding of God and His purposes. Like uh, I've handed out some scripture verses. Whoever has Second Peter 1, 2 and 3, can you read that out loud? Thank you. Scripture has given us all things that pertain to life. Therefore, a Christian worldview provides a framework by which to understand the world and all of its reality from God's perspective and to order one's life according to God's will. The crux of the matter is this. We're constantly, if we're, we're, we're honest with ourselves, we're constantly attacked with non-biblical, non-biblical worldviews. Whether it be through the media books, or even through today's system of education, non-biblical worldviews are seductively appealing to the flesh and creeping into the church right under our noses. Many of us are unaware of the influence that the conventional North American society has on the formation of our personal worldview. Someone has Colossians 2.8. Can you read it? Beware lest any man spoil you. Watch so so that they don't deceive you. Which way? Read the latter part of that verse again. By the rudiments of which? After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. If we stand on God's truth, we can trust it to bring us to the point where we can make the right decisions and adapt the correct responses to the issues that we are facing in society today. 
The church, the church can only change society for the better when each believer makes it their main objective to study God's word and live in a way that honors God. So, with those two worldviews, we can then be equipped, with understanding the two worldviews, we can then be equipped of how we deal with issues of immorality. Um, can I ask, has anyone ever faced an awkward circumstance where, or situation where you've had to share the gospel, but you really don't know how to share it in light of the situation? Has anyone had that experience? Yes? No. Would, would you like to? Actually, you know what? Um, the truth is all of us, all of us face various situations because, you know, we, we've really, and I want to be careful how to, how to say this, but what I'm going to say, the truth is I think as, as a fellowship, we've really, in a lot of ways, we've buried our head in the sand. The world has moved on and we've kind of now, you know, pulled our head out of the sound, sand and realized that I don't know if we're really equipped to deal with issues of immorality. I mean, homosexuality. You know, uh, premarital sex. How, how, how do we respond to that? You know, um, and so the idea is, if we're grounded in the Word of God, we will then know how to respond positively in sharing the truth, yet seeing the this circumstance for what it is. Witnessing. Where does this leave the church in dealing with issues of immorality? We can't bury our heads in the sand and ignore the truth of this reality. We must be convinced beyond all doubt that the Christian faith has a message for all issues in this world, of this world and that the truth has the ability to transform our lives. The truth the Christian possesses is of supreme value to everyone. Does everyone believe that? Let me read that again. The truth the Christian possesses is of supreme value for everyone. Who here believes that? Now, how do we transfer that from here or from here to here or to here? How do we walk and talk that? How do we put legs on that? We must never forget where we have come from. This is a very, very interesting uh, passage of Scripture that I really, really jumped out at me because I didn't realize who the Apostle Paul was uh, speaking to. I mean, I knew the Corinthian believers. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 11 Someone has that, but before you read it, I want you to go back. I know I've written 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but go back to verse 9. Start from verse 9 to 11, whoever has that. The Bible says that those who practice such things won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The seriousness of sin is revealed in this verse. You know, we, we can't water it down and in the, in the guise of grace say, well, you know, God's all loving and that's the world's philosophy. The truth is, if, if sin wasn't as bad as it was, none of us would be sitting here. We, we'd be wasting our time this whole week at camp. Christ's cross or the death of Christ would be null and void. It would be pointless. He died because of the sin that separated us from God. Yes, Gary? Scripture here, uh, you know, 
the media is full of that, and if we are just you know drinking this in, not that we would agree with it, but it starts desensitizing us and it starts giving us the wrong worldview. And I think we need to be much stronger in our message about the dangers of the secular worldview that is influencing us every day. Absolutely, absolutely. That passage in Corinthians says this in verse eleven, and such were some of you. What did the Corinthian church look like? You had fornicators. You had idolaters. You had adulterers. You had effeminate. Does anyone know what the translation of the word is? Abusers of themselves with mankind. Thieves. Covetous. Drunkards. Revilers. Extortioners. Who wants to go visit Corinth? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine greetings from Corinth? They're like, you shouldn't have said that, you know. <laughs> the truth is, the Bible says, and such were some of you. You know, I think that as a fellowship, we bury our heads in the sand, if I can use that term again. We think that maybe there isn't there aren't people struggling with homosexuality in our fellowship. The truth is, there are. I don't know this as a fact because someone has shared that. Well, the, the truth is, there are. It's not as if somebody shared this with me, but if we understand what people struggle with, we know that there are people that struggle with that sin. There are people that struggle with lust. There are people who were drunkards, still have that temptation to drink. And such were some of you. If we remember that the Corinthian church were made up of these sinful people, we will have, and they were brought to the glorious gospel of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we will then have compassion with others that we face that are involved in immorality. Let me continue reading. Our own need for forgiveness should never be forgotten. We can never discuss another sin without putting ourselves in the same position of what? Of needing forgiveness. What's more, we can never let our own less blatant sins cease to revile us while we are openly horrified with the world's more more obvious sins or evils. Jesus left us the greatest example. He saw the people's physical and emotional needs bound up together with their spiritual hungers. After listening to his message, he demonstrated that he cared for them by tending to their material needs as well. In many cases, he dealt with what? Their physical needs first. There indeed is a delicate balance so that we are not to be conformed to this world, but that we are to be what? We are to be what? By what? So that we would... Are there any elders here? Doug, can you quote that? Okay, can anybody else... They're having an afternoon for him on that. But, um, so that we may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That was such a stereotype, wasn't it? Are there any elders here? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, the Scripture tells us that we are to be what? Ambassadors for Christ. And there's a Scripture verse. I'm going to wrap up reading soon. But um, there's a Scripture verse that talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. Can you read that? Whoever has that? for Christ, as to God we beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. 
As ambassadors of Christ, we need to have the what? Burning conviction that the message of Jesus Christ can change people's lives and hearts. How can, however, we can fully achieve this if we really live this kind of life. This is important now. I know this really, really convicted me. And our life backs up what we say. I've heard it said that if we don't support Christianity by our lives, then the world sees what? God is a liar, Jesus as a fraud, and Christianity as a hoax. He goes on to mention that practical holiness is strategic to our proclamation of doctrinal truth. The effective, effectiveness of our witness to the world depends on how we live. This is important. If you cannot pattern your living to fit your speech, you might as well not speak. Both living in life, living the life, and speaking the truth are essential when representing Christ. This grows out of a life commitment to Jesus in the world will sense some this grows to a life commitment to Jesus and the world will sense some eternal dimension when they get to know us. The Bible teaches that both the verbal message and holy living are great importance. I thought this was great. The gospel hasn't lost its power, but it's the Christians that have lost their audience. I want to stop there. I want to spend uh, pretty much the rest of the, the time in discussion. Can anyone tell me a, or sh- let me know a, a biblical passage that is a great example of witnessing to someone steeped in immorality? Yes. Well, I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about us being reconciled back to God. Because the reason that I think God is non-existent in this society and that there's this great influx of sexual immorality is because in Romans 1 it talks about that God gave them over. He's given them over because the world rejected the truth. So God abandons them only because they, they try to suppress the truth and they've taken God out of the picture. And um, I've read this quote somewhere that the first sign, or the first indication where sexual immorality crops up is when God removes himself. So we see that in our nation. We see that as we veered away from the truth, there is this influx of sexual immorality. And to answer your question, why is Whitney saying so important? I think that if we saturate ourselves with the Word of God, instead of like Brother Gary said, you know, like choosing to read a secular novel or watching secular TV, we're absorbing all these worldviews. But if we're saturated with the Word of God, we'll be able to deal with these situations through the Holy Spirit that will lead us into all truth. And also where it talks about God wants us to be reconciled. He's waiting there to have the world reconciled back to Him. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18 it says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. And then this is the key to me. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So I think that's our focus. We shouldn't, like Dennis said, bury our heads in the sand, but we need to minister to them. And I think that in this context that means to serve. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, where do I serve? Someone would say, who is steeped in homosexuality? Um, I tend to think, well, you know, I'm Christian, and do I put it this, you know, air of, um, you know, well, now I'm perfect, and you're not, so you need to stay away from me. But there's a lost and dying world, and there's a message that we need to send out to them, and I'm speaking to myself first, um, where I need to minister to them. I, I have the message of reconciliation, God's waiting, and I'm the conduit between these two people. And um, it's an important message. And so I don't know if I can say, oh, here's what to do, checklist, checklist. But I do know two things. 
I need to saturate myself with the Word of God, and I also need to be the hands and feet of God. That, for the record, is my wife, and I love her. Not that part. Um, so, can we find a, a, a passage in Scripture? Pardon me? John 4, Samaritan women. Women, women. The mere fact that Jesus spoke to this woman was astonishing. As a man, he spoke to her, being a woman that she was, that was wrong. As a rabbi, he spoke to her, she was an immoral woman. As a Jew, he spoke to her, she was a Samaritan. This is the type of witnessing we need to emulate. He put her on common ground. Uh, Folks, brothers, sister, and, and those who aren't believers yet, this is God speaking. To a woman that had how many? Five? Men in her, li- in her, in her life that, that she was living with common law? Not one of them were her husband? And now she's living again with someone else? This is God speaking. He stooped down to her level. The way he treated her by the mere fact that he spoke to her must have contributed positively to a response to him and the message he came to deliver. Another principle we can learn is, did Jesus condemn her? Did he condemn her? You sure? Did he condemn her? Why, why? You see how when I asked you twice, you already started backing off? Did he condemn her? No, he didn't. By revealing her sin, he didn't condemn her. Yes? But at the same time, he didn't start with that either. Of course not. But he didn't sit there. I mean, think about it. Six men, you know, we're all, you know, older here. I'm, sure, I'm assuming there, there aren't any teens here. But, you know, when my wife and I go over to Pelham Park, and Brother Edmund knows this as well, there are women like the Samaritan women in Pelham Park. They've had six boyfriends. I, I know Kyle Sanderson, who lives with Jazz and I. His mother has had five or six men. She, she's had 14 children with all these different men. And, and you, if you want me to be really honest, I struggle to have respect for this woman. I think to myself, come on, woman, don't you? And yet, you know, I, I want to say this. When, when she lost some of her kids to the children's aid, she asked me to help her out if I can. There was nothing I could do, but she handed me a, a story of her life this thick. I got into the first 15 pages and I wept. Because if you realize what this woman has been through, it's not surprising she doesn't have ten women in her life, ten men in her life. He didn't bypass the question, but he also didn't wag his head in judgment. Most of us would have been quick to condemn the Samaritan woman, probably because we have the incorrect idea that if we don't condemn a certain deed, we will be condoning it. You ever had that feeling? If you don't say something now, God's going to say, shame on you. you ever, who's had that feeling? You know, what a bad witness. You didn't expose her sin. You are there to, you know, call out her sin. Christians cannot be lukewarm or passive about the presence of sin. That clearly separates us from God, and which is self-destructive. Obviously, that's a sin that, that we mentioned earlier, crucified Christ, or brought Christ to the cross. 
As Jesus continued his discussion with the Samaritan woman, he eventually revealed who he was, and that was the key to the whole discourse. We must eventually bring the non-Christians into direct confrontation with the Lord Jesus so that they realize their personal responsibility to decide for or against him. Therefore, we must not condemn the Christian, and at the same time, uh, same time we must not compromise our own convictions. Now, we've talked a little bit about homosexuality, but that's not the only issue of uh, sin of immor- immorality. I mean, you know what? The truth is, if you saw two men sitting here as a couple, you wouldn't look at them the same way if you saw a cute, or maybe you would, a cute boyfriend and girlfriend sitting over here. And part of that is because it's, it's natural, a boy and a, a, a male and a female to be together. But the truth is, if they are not committed in marriage, and they are committed in marriage, both sins are wrong. Correct? But we don't look at it that way. What about, you know, when, when Sister Lori Greninger gave me um, this task um, to have this forum, she mentioned some other issues of immorality, such as, you know, an unwed mother who's invited you to her baby shower, or you're invited to a second or third wedding. person's been divorced, you know, a few times. What do you do? Those are issues of immorality. Do you go? Do you, do you go and say, well, I want to support it because it's marriage, and I support the, 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 the you know, yes, brother? I went through that exact scenario there with my family. Oh, my. Which, which scenario is that? The, the uh, second wedding. Okay. Cousin of mine, and uh, my wife and I stood fast, and we wouldn't go. And, uh, and we, we, we uh, reaped what we sowed there. We got some grief from our family, and uh, you know, even trying to explain to them why they didn't want to hear it, but we didn't go. We don't want to bring our children up to think that's okay. You see... Here's the truth. Coming into this forum, I don't think we're going to leave this forum with, in this situation, I will do this, and in this situation, I will do that. The, the, I hope to leave with you the principles that are found in Scripture. The practices will vary. The circumstances will vary. What do you do? There's going to be a lot of you know, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You know, whether you're a seasoned believer and have, have experienced um, uh, success in witnessing to those scenarios... Um, or, or you feel that, you know what, because you would know that scenario best, that's compromising. You've spoken your belief, and now by going because it's your family, now, you're, you know, now it's changing. You know, everything changes when it becomes family. You know? So we need to be careful. What's, what's the conviction? Anyone else? Yes? Our job is to, you know, bring God's truth to whoever. But isn't, like, I don't want to be seen like I'm judging because Nobody does. I'm a Christian, I still sin. Okay, and, and that's, that's a very good point. The truth is that it's, a very, it's very hard to juggle both the, the love of God and the severity of sin as human beings. It's very hard to do that. It's very hard to be, you know, loving and share the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus and yet realize the sin for what it is. And how you do that varies. Yes, you had your hand up. I think it comes down to, it's not, an, it's not like you said, the act of what will I do with these people? What will I do, you know, here's a separate sin. 
We have to look at it as I was serving myself before I gave myself to God. It's a lot easier to defend myself when when it's personal. Now I've taken it away from me and I have to defend God. It's easier for me when it's in my own head. You know, they can defend themselves. They can say, I do this because we're in love. I do, you know, in any case, in, in the case of neighbors living together who are, are not married or in the case of homosexuals, they, they have a passion for themselves. We just have to take it to to our passion for God is as strong as their passion for themselves. Mm. And that's hard sometimes. It's, it's hard to, to become educated enough to have enough wisdom to fight for God because I know what I think so I can, sure. I can fight sure. for me. Sure. When I take it to somebody else, I better know what I'm fighting sure. for when I'm fighting for God because sure. I have to fight His truth, not mine. In light of your own life as well prior to coming to Christ with that. We had a couple of hands up with Doug and uh, Brother here. I think it's very important, uh, like it is in, in any industry or, or, or facet of life, where you have to have the right mental model of what's going on. How you model and how you respond to a, a crisis is how you model it in your own head. For example, if, you, if you've got the wrong model in a, in a nuclear station of what's really going on, you could make the wrong move, like they did at Three Mile Island. Um, if we have the model that the person that we're looking at is in a building that's on fire that needs to be rescued, we wouldn't be standing there wagging our finger at him saying, why are you up there burning like that? You shouldn't be up there, right? <coughs> Rather, we'd be thinking of how can I now calm that person down, get him in a state of mind so they don't panic and do something silly until he's rescued. And, as opposed to being God and judging him now. Yeah, we know that they're not living in the right state, but how do we rescue them from that situation? You won't rescue them by first pronouncing a sentence and then expect the person to come to you and say, oh, I fully, I fully agree with you because I fully agree with the law of God and the Bible and the gospel. You've got to establish that line of communication and trust before you can in any way suggest that perhaps there's a better way of life. Excellent. And just I want to add to that, the difficulty lies, Brother Doug, is when you're looking at someone in a burning building who's lit the building on fire. Right? You may as well burn. That's what, because we know that people living in their sin, their choices they made, we wag there and say, you're in that burning building, you lit the match, you know, burning hell type thing. But, you know, you don't obviously want to take that approach. A couple of hands, yes. Very good point. Thank you for that. Every situation is different. I mean, there's one thing that you can really definitely bring to every situation, and that's love. Because well, love is what brought us to Christ, and love is what keeps us with Christ. And I think if you go to the example I was going to give from Scripture is John chapter 8, 1 to 12, with the woman caught in adultery. Now, Jesus had every right imaginable to condemn this woman, to send her to hell right, right then and there. She sinned against him because he is God. And she was pretty much dead to rights, caught in doing it. But that's not what he did. And I think we need to realize that the greatest witness a Christian can have is not quoting the Bible, it's showing love. And that kind of love is the love that's basically going to, it's going to break me. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a violent push, but a gentle encouragement. And I think the longer we're in people's lives showing that kind of love, 
the harder and harder it's going to be for them to do the things that that they see are that they progressively see are more and more wrong, and the more that they're going to be cut to the heart by what they do, and that's how people are going to basically respond respond more positively rather than simply say, "Who are you to judge me?" Because the truth is, and uh, Strabo, we're going to get you to share it in a moment. The, the the truth is that as Christians, the first thing people think of you when they realize you're Christian is that there's this mindset that you're better than them. You're sinless. You know? Yes? Just going along with what um, just said, the, the two principles, to love your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Funny how if it's your own kid that's going through the situation, you can love them a whole, a whole lot more <laughs> rather than if you're looking at somebody else. Sure, and the way that Christ sees us, or God sees us, we are all his children, so they have that mind view. What would I do if you were actually me, or if I was you? Would I come across to you as a huge tyrant, or would I say, let me hear your story, let me listen to you, and, and see how we can work with this rather than your darkness, I'm like. Absolutely. Yes, brother. There's a fine balance, though, in some of the, in some respects. Let's, let's, I don't want to judge anybody, but if, if your co-worker, let's say the homosexual marriage, and he invites you to his marriage, I don't think you should support that. I don't think you should show up there. Good. Well, see, this is this is very thought-provoking. Seventeen hands went up right now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, go ahead, Yasta. I just want to say, and we shouldn't have to compromise our convictions. Like, if they, we shouldn't feel as though they're pushing us in a corner and say, "I'm not comfortable in going to a homosexual marriage," and I should just simply be able to say, "You know, I can't make it that day," but I should say, "Because I'm a Christian and you're not, I'm not coming." But I should be able to set up a time with them. You know, I can't come to your wedding, but is there any time that we can get together for coffee? We want to build relationships so that we can get to the point where we can talk to them about And share the gospel message. Good. Absolutely. Good point. Thank you. Uh, Nancy? Back to what Amy Wentzie was saying about showing them love, showing people love. But you have to make sure that love is mixed Because you need to love, and the Bible has truth. You need to show Speak the what? Love. Excellent point, Nancy. Yes, sister, I don't know your name, sorry. Chris. Chris. Uh, I think also we need to remember that Jesus was condemned for going to be evil sinners. What do they call him? This man is a what? We never, we never know. I think each situation that we're faced with, we need to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. He may want us to show up at a function because there may be somebody there, not maybe the people that are actually involved with ceremony or whatever, but there may be somebody there that's just waiting to hear the truth, and God may, we never know how God wants to do that. And, and, and that is an excellent point, right next to her, because I, I wanted to make a comment on that. Okay, I just wanted to say that um, I lived with my husband three years before yeah. I married him, and had it not been for the church and ministers coming to my home talking to me, I didn't know that this was wrong. I mean, I, you know, this, yep, this, this was normal. This was my world. I didn't grow up in Christian, but had I, had I not had the love of people coming to our home that we both lived in bed, then I would have never known and I would have never converted. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that testimony. Now, I want to I wanna jump to 
my three panelists that are here to share personal experiences before I get to you, Brother Fred, okay? I'll remember to ask you, and you as well, Brother Costa. So if I can ask, uh, Brother Joe, can you share that um, situation with your neighbor? Um, he was a criminal. Uh, was he a pedophile? Okay, if you could share that. It's kind of a controversial topic, and I thrive in those environments. But um, so, uh, and Brother Edmund, you as well, and uh, Sister No, at all. No, no, not at all. So I'm going to ask you to rely on the Holy Spirit. So actually, I'll start with you, Sister Lydia. Can you share, um, I've asked Sister Lydia to share a, a relevant scenario and um, witnessing um, experience she's had. So actually, why don't you come, yeah. Okay, um, I had a situation that happened. My daughter, Melissa, and I um, worked in an organic store that was um, in our small town. So we got a new coworker that came in, and we found out that uh, he was a homosexual. So we were like, okay, this is going to be you know, kind of strange. We've never encountered anything like this before, especially being raised in a Christian home like many of you. We are quite sheltered. And um, his name was Craig, and he was a very gentle man and um, very, very kind. And we had many opportunities, like during coffee breaks and stuff, to talk about like what we did on the weekends. And we often talked about the Lord and um, how blessed we were at different activities that we've been to. And it was about maybe three or four months later, he uh, came up to me and he said, Lydia, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. And he said, I just want to tell you, how much I appreciate um, the love and the kindness that you and Melissa have shown me because you are the first Christians that have ever accepted me or shown kindness to me. Um, I don't know if you realize that being in the homosexual community is very, very lonely. Um, The relationship that he had been in, um, in the past relationship, his um, partner was from a Christian home who had, and he was rejected, and he ended up committing suicide. And he said that he knew within the, like, the last two years that there were about nine people that had committed suicide because of the great rejection, and also the amount of people that die from AIDS. And, uh, and there are many countries that they can't go to because they're rejected. And he said, I just appreciate so much that you know, you're showing this love. But again, we did, um, you know, share the gospel with him. And I did apologize to him and say, I am so sorry for the poor witness that you have had from Christians in the past. Our job is not to judge you. Um, We're to share the love of Christ with you. And um, we went on to have a a nice friendship with him. He did end up moving away. But since then, um, I've also been able to have a, um, a wonderful opportunity to be able to go into a woman's prison and start a women's uh, ministry. And this is dealing with, you know, the prostitutes and murderers and, um, you know, drug addicts. And I was able to share my testimony with these women and had really good discussion with them. And one of the things that really opened my eyes was when the women shared and they said, you know, we feel like we are the scum of the earth. We know that we're labeled by society. And after I had shared my testimony with the women, the one lady opened up and she said, it just, I am so amazed at how much we all are alike, yet we look at each other and we think that somebody else is better. But yet we all need the Lord. And and, uh, one last comment she said, she said, you know what, I, since I just found the Lord the last couple of months, I have not been high um, for three months, and this high hasn't cost me five cents. 
And it just really opened my eyes to what Matthew 25 says about, you know, reaching out to those that are in prisons. And, and that's our job is to plant the seeds and let God um, do the increase. Thank you so much for that. It didn't cost her five cents, but it cost Christ everything. And, and like you said, I heard it say once, we're all beggars showing other beggars where to find food. Um, Brother Edwin, can you share as well? <laughs> so uh, Dennis asked, said uh, he heard from someone that I had experience with homosexuals. I don't know who he found that out from, but um, it is true that uh, I had uh, a number of experiences. Um, I guess 20 years, more than that. I, uh, I got a friendship with someone, um, and he was... I was witnessing to him, and he had some interest. To, he even started coming to church, and he said, I'm an onion. I got lots of layers, meaning there was stuff hidden on the surface. And eventually, he, uh, he shared with me uh, that, you know, he did, he was a homosexual, and uh, that he, uh, and I started to dig a little bit more into understanding him and how, how these things happen. I found out a number of things that, that uh, I didn't know before, reading a lot of people's experiences, uh, a lot of the, the studies I've done there. So one thing is, uh, you know, the homosexuals are really pushing this agenda that uh, it's genetic, right? And millions and millions of dollars of research are being done in that, and there is no authentic, uh, scientifically uh, verifiable proof that it is. That's, that's not the case. But what there is there, and which is being actively suppressed... Um, is that there is a cause, and uh, and what we need to understand, which I, I think is uh, also surprising, is that homosexuals don't choose to have this attraction. Um, there's often there's a certain nature of person, a sensitive personality, and there's problems in their childhood relating to their father. In some cases, in the case of this person, there was abuse. Sexual abuse that had happened. Sometimes it's a it's a, a, a interpersonal problem with uh, identifying with a mother and the father. The father's distance, absent, abusive. The mother is domineering or whatever. It's different from male and female. Uh, but uh, what happens is they have a desire for love and affirmation from um, uh, their father, and that's not there. And it gets sexualized during their teen years, and they they have these feelings. And they don't understand why they have these feelings. And then they read, oh, there's this thing, homosexual. I'm a homosexual. And everyone's rejecting me, but, you know, I'm accepted in these gay bars and so on. And then I, of course, you know, I need to justify that by going on this whole political agenda to say it's okay. Because I didn't choose it. It has to be, uh, you know, that it's genetically this way. And it's really sin, okay? Sin in their parents' lives, in their own lives, in other people's lives that has distorted that. And it is possible you know, there are ministries, Exodus International and others, that, that specialize in helping. Uh, Love One Out is another one. People to, who have these feelings to uh, be able to uh, change and to um, leave that behind. And it's, it's a struggle. So with this particular individual, he came into our church. He really felt the love there. But Satan still had a hold on him. He left for a number of years experimented with that lifestyle and, and you know, 
really found it empty and, and, and uh, as, as a sister shared and, and, and lonely and uh, eventually came back says he, he just woke up one day and says you know what if I'm going to be lonely and you know I might as and I might as well be with people that I know that love me and so he ended up coming back to church and uh, he ended up um, actually uh, converting and, and being baptized um, <clears throat> And so as a result, uh, you know, I, I became a little bit more familiar. And one day I was in church. I had to pick up some chairs, and, and the phone rang. And uh, it was this uh, person who, who was homosexual, and the, the law had just been passed that he was allowed to have ma- marry his partner of 16 years or whatever. And he was going through the phone book, and he was calling all the churches and wanting to gloat and seeing how he could anger all the Christians that you know, he had won and we had lost. Uh, this war. This, was a one. this is a, this is a, this is story number two. Um, and uh, so, uh, he, uh, as I, I started talking to him and I was sharing with him, you know, what I learned that you know there's that really you know this is I understand that he didn't choose these feelings, but you know there's there's hope and there's difference and and that you know it, speaking to him in love and compassion and he's trying to say oh yeah all problems come from straight white males and. I'm saying, you know, what about Jesus Christ and trying to share the gospel with him and, and just treating him with, with love and respect but speaking the truth to him. You know, after a while, he says, you know what? You know, this, you're, you're just too nice. This is just no fun. And he, and, and he just hung up, you know, and went a bit harassed the next guy. But you, you can see, you know. And, and the third experience was um, a sister in our church um, had a, a friendship with someone in in her uh, university who also was struggling with uh, gender confusion and, and attraction to the same sex. And, um, and so she had shared with us, and th- this person ended up converting and uh, becoming a Christian, attending a different church, and, um, but still ended up struggling with these feelings because this is not a, a simple, simple thing, and that, that's, that's very common. These people need a, a lot of support to to um, heal and to reorient uh, their thinking, to understand and accept who God has made them to be. and Because uh, there's a lot of confusion that's at the root of this. And so um, uh, since I had some experience, I offered to, to go with a sister and meet this individual. And there's, now there are a number of very good books written um, on the subject, uh, even focused specifically on, on the female aspect as well as, as the male um, uh, I can get you those if you're interested. Um, and so uh, I, I brought along a book, and I shared uh, with this uh, individual uh, uh, more of a, a biblical understanding and, and how uh, this, she, she's not alone and uh, how uh, there's hope for her and that there's a biblical way to, to overcome uh, these feelings that she has and that she's not you know, condemned or because or, uh, she was basically... You know, feeling like because she's still struggling, this feeling she was isolating herself and cutting herself off from all relationships because she was trying to battle uh, her feelings that way. And but, anyways, uh, um, the sister from our church shared afterwards that and I offered to meet with her, but that this situation is, in, is still ongoing. But she did the the person who's struggling with homosexual feelings said that you know that for the first time something rang true with her. This, this, this sounded like truth. This, this explained things to her, and it, 
really helped give her hope, and she began to devour these things and hope uh, to, to, to change her, her um, orientation and, and uh, overcome these struggles that, uh, with feelings that she was having. So those are three relevant experiences. You know, in, in, in all of these experiences, the Holy Spirit's going to have to equip you on how to deal with these circumstances, situations. You know, brother, you made a comment about, you know, attending a, a gay wedding. You know, what do you do? Um, my personal conviction would be I wouldn't go. You know, but, but would I limit, say, because I say so? Um, you would have to be really discerning to justify, you know, last year at camp I was teaching the 18-year-olds and, and some, some, one of the boys says to me, well, you know what, Dennis? Do you want me to start from the beginning? No, sure. um, remember that whole like the sound of my own voice thing. Uh, last year I was teaching 18-year-olds and one of the boys says to me, well, Dennis, what if the Holy Spirit tells me, you know, to go into a bar and um, witness to some guy at the bar, you know, uh, you know to the bartender? And um, first of all, I looked, I thought, you know, he's 18 years old. I had to, you know, extend grace, but I said, you're, you're probably not realistic and I think you're just using that as a license to sin. But can I say that the Holy Spirit won't lead us in different circumstances? No, I can't. I think, you know, the truth of the matter is, we've really, if I can use the word evolved, where 20, I remember 20 years ago when I converted, a lot of the things that we talk about openly, they were taboo. You, you can talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, not just in my church, but generally as a, as a denomination. It wasn't as, as open. And, you know, now we... You know, what happened is you get a lot of people reacting to that whole, you know, closed mindset, just the ACC, you know, it's just our fellowship, you know, some even thought, we're the only ones saved, and now to the other, to the other extreme, where, you know, open the doors, and you know, praise the Lord, it's all about grace, and there's, I'm worried that there isn't discernment attached to the two, where we're not spiritually discerning, we're just in the name of grace and love, you know, it's all about love, it's like the Beatles saying, all you need is love, which is a secular group, I shouldn't have mentioned that if it's being recorded, um, <laughs> But anyways, um, do they have editing here? <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, Brother Fred, you had uh, your hand up. Along the lines of what you said earlier, the wisdom that needs to come from the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus uh, was uh, our ultimate model of ministry. And you can see how God was working through him. Luke 4, 18 says... Uh, when he was uh, just starting his ministry, he went to the synagogue in Capernaum. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set up liberty then that are free. There's something amazing that happens when the Holy Spirit just permeates us to the point where we have more and more the mind of Christ. We will have the love, like Jesus did with the woman at the well, or the adulterous woman. And we will have the discernment to know when is the moment the truth needs to be spoken, and when is the building of the relationship that the Holy Spirit already worked on the other person without condemning them so quickly that there is even no relationship to win them. Very good point. We just really need to see God's face to become more and more like Jesus in our personal lives, and then the power of God will set the captives free, especially as we minister in prayer before we even speak. 
these captives need to be set free with the power of God. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Does, um, does anyone know who said, I like your Christ? I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Sorry? Gandhi. Gandhi. You know what else he said? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. In his 1929 autobiography, we use that a lot. Now, not just because Gandhi quoted doesn't mean it's not true, but the truth is, how do we love the sinner? How do we display the gospel love to the sinner, yet realize the sin involved? Yes, brother. Um, I think in generations past, there's been, and you kind of alluded to it, passive-aggressive attitudes towards sinners. And passive-aggressive is still being aggressive because you're not using words, but you're shunning without sharing from the Holy Spirit why you're doing it. So to not attend a wedding, to not do these things, I think is really old mindset thinking because you're thinking just by your actions you're setting what you want to say but it's more important to share the love and explain with love to bring them to Christ why you're doing things that's worth a thousand times more than anything you can do by shunning or just leaving them out of your life. Amen. Very good point. Very good point. Yes? Also too, we have to start in our home. You know, like you were saying, you know, things have changed in our church. We need to, you know, equip our young men and women how to deal with certain things because they are bombarded with garbage. And it's not about, you're a bad kid, you're, you're, that's not what it's about. This is what God said, the way you need to live and be there for them. And then go to the world. Because if a home is not right, how can we go preach anyway? Absolutely. We're supposed to be an example. Absolutely. So how can they be an example? Absolutely. Good. Starts in the home. Yes, but the... Uh, I have I don't have many answers to this. What I have an end, what, what I have a situation, an experience. Uh, it's not about somebody else. It's about our middle son. For fourteen years, he was at home. We went through uh, just his demeanor and stuff like that used to be called a tink because he was not um, he was not a, a physical uh, uh, sports minded person trying to support him through all that and one day he comes to us and says no I'm not that way anymore looks us in the eye knowing all of what the word of God says and you loved him through it all. He says, that's how I am. Because that's how I've always been. And then to get swallowed alive. That if he gets baptized, it's going to solve his problem. And you can't even talk the truth of, of the word of God to him. Because he's baptized. You see, there's a church that supports him. How do you deal with that on a daily basis? Are you saying are you saying that he he was told that if he gets baptized, the homosexuality will be gone? No. But that's he thinks that that's ah. now he's okay. I see. He's okay. Oh, because he is baptized right. now. Oh, so he so he's, he belongs to a church that supports. Right. Got it. Okay, I didn't understand. Okay. So so he he, he swallows the right. lie. Right. 
Well, well, and, and, and how do you get to that? And, and how do you go through that frustration sure. of dealing with that on a personal level, one-to-one? Talk about your son or daughter, or talk about your mom or dad or whatever it is. It gets much closer to sure. your brother. I believe you're going to I believe you. Thank you for sharing that. Does everyone here believe that? Oh, Brother Costa, um, go ahead. I've experienced that when I worked in Germany. Basel's son worked with me, and he said to me, You know what? He knows that I'm a Christian, and he realized what I would do and I'm not doing, but still, he tried to get a sale. He said, I would like to order something, you know, and ask it to come in the mail. And he said, If it comes to my parents' house when I left, he said, They will open it and we see it, and I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. He said, How about if I would put a new address and you will give it to me? But then right away he said, I know because you're a Christian, you wouldn't do that. I said, No, I would not. A lot of things has to do with us, how we conduct ourselves with our co-workers. Another thing, I was working in the house, and there was a divorced woman, and her parents lived downstairs, and she lived upstairs, and the father said, would you paint upstairs too when you're down here? I said, yes. When it was 10 o'clock evening, it would be my time to leave. She would come 15 minutes earlier from parents up there. And knowing, I don't know how much she knew about my faith, I don't want to say that, but she came in and she went in her bedroom and left the door open and she started to take her clothes off. When I saw that, I said, Joseph, leave. And I just dropped everything immediately and said goodnight and it was gone. If I would say, play more or less, they join with the sin. I would say, well, who knows? I don't care. I'm going to stay here. So what? God's going to protect me this week. But Joseph was not protected. He had to go in the jail because it was not true. And I left. And I said, thank God. She didn't open her mouth. She didn't say anything. I left. Tomorrow evening, again, I have to face it. And I said, if she does once more, notice anything, I'm not going back anymore. Uh, the third thing, when I worked in, in Canada, I worked in a group and it was five women. I told them from the beginning, I realized what's going on, but right from the beginning when I started, and I said to them, I'm a Christian. I don't see that it's necessary what happened here, that a man or ladies put a hand on each other, pick me, do this, touch me, whatever it is, and talking dirty jokes. They said, and uh, I said, innocent jokes, no problem. They respect me for that. Me as a machine operator, I would be back in the machine there at the front. As soon as I come close up, they would say, cost is coming. They would stop. So but They never stop any dirty jokes in the front of me. Another thing, I believe that people know that we are Christian, those who would not invite us to different weddings as a Christian, and God, the same thing, would not allow those temptations on us. Even if it comes, I'm not saying not, 
the Bible says we should shun all evil. So, so that's a good point. You see, I think this is you know, kind of a microcosm of what we faced. If I could use you, Brother Costa, as an example, you've got the, the older generation that kind of says, you know, God won't put you in that circumstance, and, you know, this, this mindset that, you know, when, you know, just last Sunday, somebody was telling me when, when an elder would walk around in Yugoslavia, people would go across the other side of the street. They would have so much reverence. And I was trying, and, you know, and the children would say, oh, there's Chica, this person, he was an elder in Yugoslavia. And they'd be, you know, they'd walk away. And I was trying to convey that that's not really a good thing, necessarily. I understand the respect side, but I said, remember Christ? The children ran to Christ. If we have a demeanor that, that pushes people away, then we're missing the point. At the same time, they should understand that we have a high regard for God's Word and holiness as children of God. Because we cannot be witnessing to them about the love of God, the separation of the world, one night we're doing the same thing. So we can't put ourselves in a box... You know, be like the monks who go to Tibetan, you know, who live in Tibetan and are sheltered from the world. But at the same time, we cannot do the things of the world because our witness, our salt has been lost or our light has been diminished. I want to conclude. I, what do we have? Four. Dennis, please. Just one more thing. As I said, a lot of things have to do how we conduct ourselves. Sure. Okay? The other operator, the machine, he conducted himself the same as those women were, a different uh, ship. What happened? They stripped him naked because he allowed himself to be the same as they are. Compromise. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that. A lot of things have to do how we conduct our lives as a Christian towards non-Christian. Absolutely, brother Joe. I didn't um, uh, get a chance. Do Do you have a few minutes to share? Because this isn't about homosexuality. It's actually a very sensitive um, scenario, and I want to close with that. Uh, uh, If you can come up here, and uh, you can close with that, and also close with the prayer. As well, Brother Joe, um, I want to just leave, it, leave this with you. If we are saturated in the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit in every circumstance will bring Scripture to mind how not to act and react. We saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Let's wait a few minutes for Brother Joe to share and then pray. Okay. Um, this is impromptu. I hadn't thought about this probably for the five, six, seven years that it's happened. Um, one evening, a policeman came to our door. And, you know, there was a knock, we go, and there's a policeman there. Okay, hi, how are you? And it was uh, his duty, or her duty, I forget which, to inform us that there was a convicted sex offender moving into the neighborhood. Okay, where? Oh, they can't tell us. Okay, Uh, but, you know, we've heard from your neighbors that you have children, so we want to make sure that you know this. Okay, thank you very much. Well, what we didn't know is that uh, two doors down uh, was an elderly couple, and the man's son from a previous marriage, his wife had died, had been convicted of uh, pedophilia, whatever, and he had been in jail for I don't know how many years, and he was being released. And so here he comes, he's living two doors down, and our neighborhood was in uproar. Um, And there are a lot of we know all the neighbors on our cul-de-sac. And there are some that are Christians, but most of them are not. And one of them, who might feign religion, he was a, an instigator. He calls uh, Channel 7 News. He's getting everybody out because we're going to have a, um, we're going to picket the house. And, you know, this poor couple down the street, they're just, they're quiet people. They don't want this attention. 
And here I am in the middle of it, right? They're, you know, the neighbors are coming to me and ask, you know, come and pick it with us. Come and show. You have all the children on our street. You know, come and do this. <laughs> and the spirit, I, I wasn't convicted that this was a good thing. As much as I didn't approve of what this man had done, and I don't know, you know, I, I was talking to the policeman, and they, um, somehow we, it came out that he had converted this uh, pedophile, he converted in, um, he co- converted in prison, and the policeman said, oh, they all do, okay? Um, to make this short, uh, when the picketing was going on, I, I just couldn't bring myself to go do it. I didn't feel it was right. Um, and there was a m- meeting at the house where come and meet him, and so half the neighborhood came in, we're all having a meeting, and the one thing I did say, I said, you know, you, you do have the freedom. I feel that you have the freedom. You have to live somewhere. You have the feel, freedom to live somewhere, and I'm not approving or disapproving, but just be aware that I'm watching. At the very least, I needed to say, I'm watching, and I have six children, and I know that, you know, I've heard your uh, testimony that you've become a Christian, but I still am watching. A couple days later, um, father and his son, they drive by, and I wave to them. I just wave. I didn't think of anything of it. But later on, when the father, who eventually, he died in about three weeks after that, had a heart attack, um, uh, the father came up to us and said, you know, when I saw, he was talking to Lori, when I saw your husband wave to us, I knew we were going to be okay. And that was a, a testimony to him. Now, did I think about it? No. It just was, you're just trying to be kind to your neighbor. You know, when you're trying to witness to anybody, you know, what's a good scripture to use about immorality? Uh, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, is that true? Or isn't it true? Well, let's talk about that. That's easy to talk about. If it's true, well, then we we got a whole bunch of other things to talk about. If it isn't true, well, there's nothing to talk about. There's no common ground. We can't go anywhere. Um, So, with that, Time is up. If we can rise for a prayer. Father, as we have time in this morning to set aside and to come and hear thy word, we are grateful for all the information we've received in this morning. And we pray that you would be working in our hearts and our minds and giving us that discernment, Lord, to speak thy word as we need to speak, just even if it's in that very minute, in that very hour, you give us the words from thy word, uh, from thy written word into our minds. Help us to behave ourselves wisely, to study to show ourselves approved, and to be men and women beloved by thee. In Christ we pray. Amen.